This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. Talked to a lot of guys that have uh, you know, retired after long, long careers, and they wish they played longer. And they just tell you to play as long as you can. And uh, you know, I think uh, the body's holding up well, so uh, keep going and uh, try to help the team uh, achieve our ultimate goal and of winning. Golden Edge podcast time out here, City National Arena, the middle of the off season, but there's always something going on. And this time, it's Derek England re-signing or you know coming back on a one-year deal. With the Golden Knights, a lot to get into and how that relates to the rest of the team and everything else going on with the offseason with the Golden Knights. So we are out here. Thank you guys once again for listening. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, share, all of those things you do wherever you get this podcast. Tell your friends as well. We really appreciate that. And don't forget, Golden Edge Podcast presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. Make sure you check us out each and every time. We put up a new podcast, which is not very often in the offseason, but there's been plenty of news to talk about, so let's get right into it. As I said, Adam Hill, Ben Goats, Dave Shane, here with you from City National Arena. We just heard from Derek England, and Ben, uh, you know, pretty interesting. We thought this was coming, but just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, the middle of July, hey, Derek England signs a one-year deal. Yeah, it finally happened. I mean, George McPhee had basically broached the subject in development camp of saying, Hey, we're close. We think it's going to get done. We just got to work on some bonus structure things, and then we'll all have it click into place. And it took about you know three weeks after those initial conversations for it to actually click into place. But he's back officially on a one-year deal with the Knights. He was here talking about it uh, today. He's you know 37 years old. He'll be 38 if the Knights make the playoffs next year. But I really thought it was interesting to hear him talk about you know. Whether at this age he's still motivated, he's still ready to basically fight and compete at the highest level uh, in the NHL. And I thought what he had to say was interesting, so let's listen in. I, uh, you know, I think uh, very motivated. You know, the first year I thought, uh, you know, this was my best, best year, uh, I think, as a, as a player. And uh, last year I was a little down, but, uh, you know, there's always room to improve and, and get better even at this age. And, um, you know, if I want to keep playing, I gotta, I gotta come out and perform and, and uh, come in in great shape and, and do all the things I need to do. So that was Derek England actually answering a question from our own Dave Shane. So uh, let's get your thoughts not only on you know what he said there about um, you know his motivation and you know we're we're all trying to kind of retire him right now, but just in general, what you thought about what Derek England had to say today? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of a clumsy question I asked, but you know, I think part of the reason that I asked it was, you know, we're, we were kind of talking before with him and posing all these questions about, you know, what are you going to do after you're done? And, 
you know, they've got these kids coming into the pipeline and all, all these sorts of things like that. So, you know, I just, I, I thought it was interesting. And like Ben said, that, that he, he's ready, you know, this isn't just a, I'm going to come back for one year and, you know, I'm going to go on a, on a, you know, one final, you know, tour of the league and everybody's going to, you know, pat me on the back and say, great job, Derek, you know, heck of a career and all that. Like he wants to keep playing. This is, you know, this is one year and then he'll see where he's at and, and all that sort of stuff. So to me, it just kind of, you know, stood out that, that, you know, he's, he's, he's not ready to hang him up. This is not just like, oh, I'm going to come back and, you know, be a, you know, an ambassador almost, you know, to the team. And I'm just going to help these kids and, and all that sort of stuff. No, he wants to play and he's got performance bonuses and all these sorts of things that, that he wants to meet. And, you know, obviously there's financial incentive and, and all that sort of stuff that goes with it too. But I just, you know, I think my takeaway was that he wants to play. You know, he doesn't want to be a seventh or eighth defenseman on this team. He wants to be in the lineup, you know, regular minutes, killing penalties, do what Derek England's done for the last couple of years. Well, uh, he might want to. I mean, I think his play is going to have to be uh, what decides that, what determines that. And, and Ben, I think toward the end of the year, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I was completely convinced that the team was going to want him back for another season. I mean, I know what he brings leadership-wise, and certainly off the ice there's no question what he brings uh, to the organization, to the locker room, and everything else. But uh, there were times where you watched and said, I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Yeah, I think it was definitely interesting at the end of the year when they put him and Nate Schmidt together and tried to make that partnership work. And I don't really think it did, especially as kind of the nominal top pairing for the Knights. I don't know if they're going to be super successful if they continue that. Now, on the other hand, that doesn't mean Derek England was a completely you know, useless player at the end of the year either, and he does fill some holes for them. He is currently their only right-shot defenseman on the roster. I mean, they're pretty heavily unbalanced on the blue line right now, though Shea Theodore can also play that side. Nate Schmidt can play on the right side. But he does fill at least a need there as a guy who actually does shoot right He's still a good penalty killer. He led them in time on ice shorthanded last season. So he can still do a lot of things to help this team. It'll just be curious what role they end up carving out for him and whether that's going to be the same role he's kind of had these last two seasons. Well, what role do you think? Or like, what, what do you foresee? I'll ask both of you, but uh, just start with you. You brought it up. What do you see his role being? I would be very curious to see him paired on even maybe a third pair with one of the young guys they bring in. I mean, he talked about, hey, I know we're going to bring in some young guys this year. I can be a sounding board. I can give them piece of advice. I can help them, you know, whenever I can and whenever, you know, they ask me. And so I'd be curious to see what he would look like on a, you know, third pair with, say, a Nick Haig or a Jimmy Schultz, you know, guys who, you know, bring a little offense to the blue line and, of course, might make some rookie mistakes that, England, a more defensive-minded guy, could potentially cover for. So that possibility has a lot of uh, you know, intrigue to me. Now, whether they actually go down that road is another conversation entirely, but that's at least something that I could see you know, being potentially successful. Dave, what do you see his role being this year? Uh, and keeping in mind, it sounded like and we didn't get to see what the incentives are. It sounded to me like what he was kind of indicating is that the incentives are largely you know, playing time or, you know, how many games games he plays based, uh, which would make a very interesting decision maybe between the front office and the coaching staff at some point down the road of, 
all right, do we really play him every night if it's going to cost us extra money and if it's, if it's not the right move for the team? Yeah, I mean, I think at least in terms of that particular question, the fact that it's, you know, 800K as opposed to, you know, X millions of dollars or something like that, that, that could be whatever. I don't think that would really influence anything. I don't think there's like major cap implications and, and things like that that they would have to worry about. So from that standpoint, I think it'd be fun to speculate, you know, whether well, George McPhee would. We've definitely seen in other I mean, we see it in baseball sure, all the time. We see sure. it in the NFL even. Uh, we see it happen, and I'm sure it happens in the NHL. Yeah. So uh, it, it, will, it would be an interesting question, like late in the year, if he's got one game left to reach some bonus – do you do the the right thing for Derek? Do you do the right thing for PR, or or would you say, well, you know what? Maybe it's I mean, it would be it would be very fun for us. I don't know that it'll actually come into play. Yeah, it would certainly be a fun I mean, speculating yeah, time I was for say, us. It'd be a good talk, talking point and, and all those sorts of things. And I mean, I guess in terms of his role, and and, and that's sort of related to what we were talking about. I, my thought with it is it depends on the rookie or rookies, I guess, and and how well they play. Uh, and then just, you know, who's kind of left on the roster. There, there's some other implications and things. Uh, let's just say Nick Holden is, you know, out of the equation uh, to make room for Nikita Gusev, you know, if we're going to talk hypothetically and things. So, so now you've got a guy, Nick Holden, who kind of played both left, both right. You know, you got to kind of fit some pieces in. Where does, like, Jimmy Schultz, where does White, you know, where does Nick Hague, wh- where do all these guys kind of fit in? And I think it kind of then trickles down to, to Derek England and, and what have you. I mean, you know, I've said this before, and I, I'll stick with this. I think if if Derek England is your seventh defenseman, it's probably not a bad spot to be in because that means the first year guys are, are are playing pretty well. You know, and if Derek England has to come in and play a role like say, you know, John Merrill did the first year, um, you know, even somebody like Brad Hunt, you know, you go back and look at like the first year, you know, there was injuries and things. Brad Hunt played half the year, and yeah. he had a stretch in December where he and Colin Miller were. You know, not not necessarily arguably their best defensive pair, but but certainly, you know, were an effective pairing. So you know, I mean, all all kinds of things happen during the season, and to have a guy, you know, whether he's, you know, Derek's in the lineup regularly, or whether he's a guy that you can plug in, you know, I think it's probably a, a good spot for them to be in. You're not paying him, you know, two point five million or something like that to have a a, a potentially a seventh defenseman. It's a it's a you know, cap-friendly, team-friendly contract. I'm sure Derek's happy that he's going to have, you know, incentives and, and bonuses there in front of him that, you know, he can essentially make close to what he made last year, you know. So it sets up nicely for, for all sides, and, and, you know, it'll all shake out in training camp. That's kind of the beauty of it, I guess, is, you know, the best players will play. And, you know, the best six defensemen are going to be in the lineup, and if that's Derek England, then, you know, great. And if not, that means, you know, he's a seventh defenseman and, and a veteran presence that, if you need him, you know he's probably going to be ready to go. If if the team is at full strength, if everybody's available that could potentially be available, and Derek England is one of your six best defensive players, is that a bad thing? I'm not sure yet. I think we have to see how it's all going to shake out in terms of the rookies, how they're going to play and stuff. I mean, as much as I think England's play definitely fell off, especially five-on-five five last year, I mean, I don't think he killed them in the playoffs. I mean, he was on the ice, obviously, a lot during those shorthanded goals in the Game 7 of the Shark series, but I'm not sure uh, any of them were particularly his fault. So I don't know exactly if you have him as a guy who's there to kill penalties and, you know, maybe only be on the ice 15, 17 minutes a game, and you're giving 
larger chunks of ice time to you know some of the vets but still younger guys like nate schmidt braden mcnab shay theodore i think that's still a fine setup it might not be an ideal setup for especially the long term because you want to make sure these young guys like nick Hag and jimmy schultz are playing just so they can develop a little bit but i'm also not sure that's like you know a doomsday scenario because he's still at least in my opinion a fine player i think he's got a role on this team somewhere I, I don't know what it is and and again i'll go back to my answer that i think it depends on you know how good the rookies are um and whether that just pushes him you know out of the lineup that's just kind of the natural you know order of selection i guess and and, and things but well what was national what was it like emoji day the other day and the the hurricanes put out that video with uh with aho breaking uh england's ankles and you know, with the little sad crying emoji <laughs> on his face. And, and I, that's like, I know it's terrible and, you know, it's like low hanging fruit and easy to pick on. But, you know, there was more of that last year it wasn't than, the there, only was, time, than yeah. there was the first year that, that, that Derek England was, you know, with the Golden Knights. If that continues, you know, then, then Jargalon's going to make a tough choice and it becomes, you know, a, a decision. And I'm sure Derek England would, would, would understand it. But, you know, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world for the Golden Knights if he's in your top six. He did He did uh, indicate there was other offers. He talked to some other teams. Um, I thought it was interesting. He pointed out, you know, somebody asked if there was a multi-year deal, and he said once you get to 35, uh, it's all, you know, pretty much one-year offers, and there was a good laugh. Uh, but 35-plus th- contract actually is a special category of contracts in the NHL and the CBA, which – you know, I don't know a lot of people know that or understand it, but um, it is a thing. And, and, you know, one, two-year deals are really the max uh, to give a player over 35 because of the way it works out uh, under the CBA. But that is, you know, if you, uh, if you hear the audio later of, of that answer, that is actually a, uh, a particular contract uh, under the CBA and the NHL. Just thought I should point that out. But um, it, it would have been a very interesting decision uh, for Derek England to have to try to make if something can be worked out here, if there was other offers on the table. But as you said, he pointed out that he's not only coming back for one year, he wants to come back for more than one year. He wants to continue uh, to play as long as he possibly can. And uh, we'll see how he performs this year and what is able to uh, to happen with him and this team going forward. Uh, but certainly, you know, it was something that was expected. He's back in the mix one year. 700,000 incentives that could get him to 1.5. Uh, so that is the story right now with Derek England and what his role is. We will find out soon enough. Uh, but it wasn't the only thing that happened uh, in, the, in the last couple of days. Uh, there was also a trade. And you know, it's not a blockbuster trade, certainly, but it could be an indication of other things happening. And the biggest thing really uh, for the Golden Knights is to kind of clear up the long-term IR situation uh, by getting the David Clarkson contract off their hands. Uh, that was more of a, I guess, more of a move on paper. Yay, though. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Yay. Sorry. You don't have to continue to Yay. explain. No more, no more long-term IR. You don't have to Yay. continue to explain what that means. I can barely explain it, let alone understand it. Yeah. I mean, I was going to cap friendly and everything, you know, trying to figure out how Carlson's contract or Clarkson's contract affects their cap, and it is a... Uh, the CBA is a fun read when you get down in the weeds like that. Yeah, it is. Well, Real the, page turner. And the, well, I mean, it, it does. You know, it's the kind of thing you have to read like four or five times in a row because you get so bored and you're like, 
clock out and they're like, oh, wait, I, I don't know what I just read the last two minutes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for the Golden Knights right now is, yeah, they could have just moved Clarkson's contract to long-term IR and then it, they wouldn't, it wouldn't have counted necessarily, but it is out there and it means that the performance bonuses can't be pushed down the road like other teams are able to do. In this case, Toronto already had a, a player on long-term IR, so they were already going to use that anyway, so they could just add another uh, long-term IR contract so it doesn't really impact them. Uh, and then kind of a you know a swap, a draft pick for a potential, I'll say backup goalie. I don't know that the Golden Knights want him to be their backup goalie, but just insurance goaltender uh, for down the road. Uh, not a blockbuster deal, but certainly – you know something that is beneficial for the knights for for salary cap purposes yeah so it's kind of interesting moves so yeah speaking of the goaltender i mean garrett sparks from the toronto maple leafs one t yeah one t very one t, garrett. interesting spelling uh so not this past season but the one before he was the ahl goaltender of the year basically and then last year he played about 20 games with the maple leafs not great numbers he had a goals against average it was a little bit above three he had like a 902 save percentage like right around 900 so, you know, maybe he could push Malcolm Subban in training camp. I would imagine it's more likely that he's going to be their third goalie. And if Subban or Fleury gets injured, he's kind of the first call-up, which seems fine. I mean, they have had to play a third goalie the past two seasons. It happens. So it's certainly not the worst thing in the world to get some goaltending depth back, considering they lost some depth this offseason. And you know fourth round pick to get that depth back and then shed the Clarkson contract which does afford them more flexibility in terms of they don't have to push those bonuses down the road they can keep those on the cap this year especially because they're not sure what the cap is going to be next right. year because they didn't even know what it was going to be this year <laughs> yeah. until very soon before business started happening and they don't accrue as many cap charges day to day because that's how the cap is counted it's not just counted yearly it's counted literally day to day and so it reduces their day-to-day cap charges uh which makes roster maneuvering kind of in season a little bit easier for them now dave uh it's like i said the the clarkson move is a move mostly on paper uh but it's it's like you were you know kind of sarcastically cheering about it it's just it's kind of a headache that's gone is really all it is yeah, I mean, you know, I haven't talked to George McPhee's guy about it, you know, or <laughs> I got whatever. A guy for that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, my, you know, part of it, my understanding and, and things is, I think maybe from the Golden Knights' point of view, where getting it off of off of the the book, so to speak, is beneficial, is right around you know the end of training camp, because you got to be cap compliant and then put him on long-term IR and, and whatever. So you have to do some roster, I think, massaging and maybe send you know guys down who are waiver-exempt and all that sort of stuff um, to get cap compliant just to then be able to put him on long-term IR and, you know, and all that. So I'm sure there was probably some hassle and some things that you know, they could foresee down the future that that's just an unnecessary headache. And if Toronto was willing to take this on and create their own room for Mitch Marner and we, you know, whatever they have to do, then, you know, maybe it works out for both sides. I'll, I'll actually stick my neck out on something though. Um, I'm not entirely sure that Garrett Sparks is just going to be the, the backup goaltender in the AHL. And I don't know that that means that he's going to start the season with the Knights. And, and maybe this is me just totally 
reading way too much into a, to a situation, but like, you know, like Ben mentioned, this is a guy who won the Calder Cup and had like a 1.79 goals against or something ridiculous in the in the AHL two years ago. He's 26 years old. He won the backup job, you know, in Toronto last year and clearly didn't play well. And there's been some reports about, I guess he's got a pretty big personality. Um, apparently he, you know, maybe said some things at the toward the end of the year that, that didn't go over well in the locker room. Just in, I think I, I can remember one after a start um, where he, where he kind of made some comments about, you know, wanting a little more fire, I think, from, from teammates and things. I don't think that went over very well. And so maybe it was just a an issue in Toronto where, like, you know, okay, we got to move on from, from this guy. But, you know, at the same time, this is not just some, you know, AHL journeyman. This is a guy who's a, a big prospect who, in the Maple Leaf system, especially, like, last year and, and kind of going into it, was a guy that they were potentially touting. And, you know, if you know, McElhaney and, you know, and, and all these guys in their system, like Garrett Sparks was, was the heir apparent and a guy that they were waiting, not necessarily to take over for, for Frederick Anderson, but to challenge and, you know, be the backup last year and, and, and all that. And he didn't really run with it, but I just don't think this is just some like throwaway deal, I guess. And, and, and to me, you know, if like if I'm Malcolm Subban, uh, you know, an eyebrow certainly went up. Um, if I'm Oscar Dansk, an eyebrow certainly went up that all of a sudden, you know, we have another guy in the mix. I don't know if you guys can pull this up. Like, I don't think he's waiver exempt either. Now, not all the goalies, like at the end of training camp, they get cut. You know, a lot of times they, they clear waivers. But, like, you look at guys last year, you know, like Calvin Pickard, you know, got picked up. McElhaney got picked up by Carolina. Um, you know, Garrett Sparks is a guy with, with some reputation around the league. I just don't think it's automatic that, you know, let's just say, you know, somebody gets beat out, whoever it might be in training camp, that, you know, that there's not a little bit more to this, I guess. Yeah, no. he is not waivers exempt, it looks like, according to yeah. uh, capfriendly.com. So, so, I mean, let's just say, like, hypothetically, he and Subban both play well in the preseason, you know? I mean, he's a guy that could get claimed on waivers, and the, and the Golden Knights could have done all this, send a fourth-round pick in Clarkson, and then lose him on waivers. Potentially. Potentially. Not, you know, again, a lot of times teams kind of understand, look, you don't want to, like, you know, take this goalie if you don't need him. And, you know, there's all sorts of things. Like if you pick him up off waivers, like Subban a couple of years ago, it's got to be on your 23 man roster. So if somebody were to do that, that's a pretty big commitment, you know, a team would be making for Garrett Sparks. But I'm just saying, I don't think it's out of the question. I, I just don't think it's automatic that he's just going to be, you know, in Chicago wearing a baseball cap, watching Oscar dance, you know, play the majority of games. No. I, and, yeah, I thought if anything he'd be he'd be starting in Chicago, but I, I think you, to more to your point, I don't think it'd be crazy if he if he were to to win the job, like based on the ability that he has as a, as a backup here. But if at the very minimum, it's absolutely a message to Malcolm Subban to me that I think that they've they've shown a lot of faith in him and a lot of trust in him as not only a guy that potentially could be just you know a solid solid number two goaltender in the league but potentially an heir apparent to Marc-Andre Fleury and I don't know that you know they want to just have him coast along and just be like yeah you're doing great like I think the message is out there to say hey there's other options and there's other guys that are going to compete with you so um, you know if anything it's trying to light a fire under him going into training camp potentially. Uh, that's how I kind of took it and you know that was my first thing was was just this seems like you know some some direct competition for Malcolm Subban. Um, 
and again, you know, maybe this is me overreading it. Maybe this is me, you know, complicating a situation that's not very complicated. But it, you know, that was my first impression was just, you know, I mean, you've got a guy who signed, you know, a contract, an NHL one, you know, one-way contract in March with the Maple Leafs. You know, so this is not a guy that you're just going to dump in the minors and, you know, pay him on a two-way contract and, and all those sorts of things. There's, there's a lot of signals, you know, at least to me, that this is, like you said, you know, light a fire. Hey, Malcolm, you know, you struggled last year. You got a one-year deal, you know, pick it up, win the job in training camp, you know, and, and, and we'll kind of go from there. But you need to start grabbing a hold of this, you know, this job. Somebody, so Either way, somebody's going to have to play you know, 25-ish games, if not maybe more, this year to alleviate some of that workload on Marc-Andre Fleury. Somebody's going to have to do it. And and whether it's Malcolm Subban, whether it's Oscar Dansker, or Garrett Sparks, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, I don't want to say a, an issue, but it's going to be a topic this season after what happened last year with Marc-Andre Fleury. So somebody's got to grab a hold of it. And whether it's Malcolm, whether it's Garrett, whether it's, you know, Oscar Dansk or, you know, some other move that we haven't seen yet, you know, somebody's going to have to be that backup and somebody's going to have to play well. Well, while we're on that and we're going to move on to what could be left salary cap-wise and move-wise uh, for the next couple of weeks here, but uh, how concerning was the end of the season, now that we have a chance to look back, uh, for, you know, the franchise looking at Marc-Andre Fleury as their, you know, long-term starting goaltender? I mean, at least has to raise questions. He didn't perform well in the playoffs. He was okay. I don't think he was bad, but he wasn't great either. I mean, I think to Dave's point, I think the key takeaway there is all season we were talking about how is his workload going to affect him in the playoffs? How is Marc-Andre Fleury going to look after having kind of these miles racked up on his body during the regular season? And I think the answer for the most part was, even though Fleury said he felt fine at the end of the year, that you know he wasn't great. I don't think he was at his best he was not peaking when april rolled around and so i think that's something that the knights have to be super mindful of this year and like dave said make sure that they're giving at least 25 games to some combination of you know malcolm suban maybe sparks maybe oscar Dons gets a game or two somewhere in that mix but clearly it was not great to kind of push flurry's workload all year then all of a sudden toward the end of the year he gets a you know injury that we can, you know, rehash that. We don't need to. And then all of a sudden he's not peaking around playoff time. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is how can they manage his workload to make sure he's good to go when late spring comes. I mean, at least for me, that that still remains one of the, the biggest unanswered questions from from last year as far as I'm concerned. You had Marc-Andre Fleury in the middle of March playing his best hockey. I mean, it was like, what, five goals in six games or something like that that he had given up. He was coming off, you know, 40-something save performance in Dallas, basically stole a game and then, you know, mysteriously was injured. And I, uh, to your point, Adam, I don't think he played poorly in the playoffs. I, I just don't think he played as well as he did, you know, two years ago. And and that's just such a high standard to reach. But well, I don't, I don't even you, mean you know, I don't even mean the play in the playoffs. I mean it was as you said playing so well. Then all of a sudden it's the sharpness. It's and he's gone. Yeah, and still don't really 
fully know what was what was happening. Right, and he came back, played a couple games at you know the end of the regular season, and you know you could argue he wasn't sharp in those games. And you know then they had what six or seven days off or something like that, um, maybe not that long, but you know before that game one. Um, yeah, I mean, I just uh, you know for me, I think there you know obviously you can never control injuries. You never know when a guy's going to get hurt. But if they're able to manage it to where you can keep him healthy and keep him, you know, instead of going on, you know, IR in the middle of March, that's when you should be peaking at that point. You know, that's when you want to be playing well, playing your best, you know, going into the playoffs. We saw it, you know, who's the Stanley Cup champions, you know, St. Louis played well in the second half. That's 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 what you want to be doing. And, you know, whether it was the workload or, or, or anything like that, that, you know, clearly the Knights weren't peaking i guess at that point sdn sports is the only sports betting app you need this season sign up today and get a new sign up bonus of up to 50 dollars. so we've talked about Derek england coming back what his role could be uh where they kind of stand on the cap with a million dollars to play with but you know a couple guys still to add to the mix including who knows what happens with gusev uh the jimmy schultz situation as well uh there's a couple weeks left of you know theoretically downtime before Guys start coming back in. What will the roster look like at that point compared to today? And I guess the the question I'll just ask right on the top for both of you and start with Ben, will Nick Holden be on the roster when training camp opens? That's an excellent question. Uh, I'm not still sure yet. I'm not, I don't have a good read on the Gusev situation. I mean, I do think he's a natural guy to move in that spot because right now it's hard to envision him having a consistent role in that top six if they indeed want to get a rookie up here and you would think playing every day because otherwise what would be the point of having a rookie come up if you're just going to have them be scratched every night and but at the same time holden would also be a guy with enough character that i think would handle that well i still don't think you want to do that to a guy who's making 2.2 million dollars next year just making him a healthy scratch that's good natured i mean we saw them move on from Brad Hunt kind of in that same position last year. And Brad Hunt was making way less money than Nick Holden. So, I mean, it does appear to kind of be a, a situation that would seem untenable, at least from the outside right now, going into camp with Nick Holden, whether there's a team at this point that would be super excited to add him on the last year of that deal. I don't know. So I think that makes it really complicated. So I'll say yes, just to be old, <laughs> Um, so wait, would you, is that implying that saying no, Nick Holden will not be here is the safe answer? No, I think what it implies and, and I mean, go ahead, tweet me, you know, tweet at me, email me, whatever. Um, I think, I think what it means is that the Gusev thing, either he gets traded or it's dragging out. And I don't think it's resolved at that point necessarily. Um, I'm still, you know, the, the Gusev thing to me is just, it, you know, I just have a, I'm, I have a hard time getting any sort of read on the situation. Um, certainly, it's been radio silence from, you know, Gusev's camp um, and trying to get any sense of, of what's going on and, and where people are. Um, I mean, you know, the, the money thing to me is the interesting thing because... To, to me, the biggest thing is if he's that good, if if he is the best player in the world, not in the NHL, 
I don't understand how you haven't made a plan to fit him in to your roster one way or the other. And I understand that it takes two to tango on a trade. And, you know, we're talking about Nick Holden, you know, who's going to want him, things like, you know, so if there's not another team that needs, you know, a guy like Nick Holden making 2.2 million, that's hard to get rid of him. But I just, I just feel like the Gusev thing, um, I, I don't see an immediate resolution where he gets signed right now. So for, for, for that reason, I think Nick Holden is still going to be there. If, if you ask them right now if they'd rather have, you know, and I say them, I mean the Golden Knights brain trust, if they'd rather have Gusev or Holden on opening day, isn't, isn't Gusev the clear answer? Yeah, but see, okay, so this is... I know it's not a one-to-one yeah, deal. Yeah, and, and see, and this goes back to something, and this is kind of, this was a pet peeve of mine the first training camp two years ago, and everybody made this thing of like, you know, Shipashov, and why did he go to the minors when you got like Pierre Edward Belmer on your fourth line doing nothing? <laughs> you know, and it was such a just ignorant argument to me. It's just wrong. You know, it's apples and oranges. They do completely different things. So to compare, like, oh, would you rather have Gusev or Holden? Well, I mean, clearly I'd rather have Gusev. Clearly I'd rather have a guy who's going to, you know, potentially score, you know, 50 to 60 points and, you know, be a key guy on a power play and all those sorts of things. I'd rather have that. But also understand that there's just elements to a roster and you need a little bit of this and you need a little bit of that. And if the Gold Knights feel like they've already got scoring and things like that on the wing, then maybe it's not as urgent to have Nikita Gusev in your lineup versus if you feel like there's a hole on defense that's massive that at least, you know, Nick Holden can fill to some degree. You know, there's just more elements to, you know, to this than, you know, roster construction. And we're just going to take, you know, all the best players and, and load them up. You have to have, you know, elements of guys that can do certain things and play different roles. Yeah, because to phrase that question properly, you'd really have to be, would you rather have just randomly Gusev and Bischoff or Holden and Pierre? Like, you'd have to match yeah, up yeah, yeah. two different guys to right. make that. That's 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 fair. To make yeah. that question more accurate. But, um, yeah, I mean, th- there is a lot of people framing it that way, certainly. And, you know, as you said, it's an easy answer to be like, I want the exciting forward guy. That's the guy I want. But right. you also take into consideration, can you deal Holden and... You know, you might have to actually like give up a pick to get somebody to take Holden from you at this point. Yeah, and they, I mean, they have extra picks. That's the thing. I mean, they, they've certainly shown that you know they can stockpile that stuff and use them as assets. You know, that's what George McPhee and, and Kelly McCrimmon have done. You know, I mean, even even the trade that we talked about earlier. You know, being able to move a fourth round pick. It's not that they have an extra, you know, fourth round pick that year or anything, but they have enough draft picks stocked up that you know they can move something like that. They can make a deal and you know, kind of attach that to the deal if they have to, to get something done. That's the flexibility, you know, that they have, I guess, going forward with some of that stuff. Ben, what do you see the next couple of weeks looking like? I mean, I think they're going to be pretty relaxed, if we're being (laughs) honest. The only real big pieces of news we're waiting on is, you know, when is Jimmy Schultz going to sign and what is he going to sign for? It's not going to be that exciting of a signing. You know, he played in just one NHL game. He doesn't have a lot you know, on his ledger yet. So I don't, you know, that's not going to be a blockbuster deal or anything. And then we're waiting on Gusev. And uh, like Dave said, I don't really think there's any reason why that wouldn't potentially drag to at least around the beginning of training camp, if not, you know, into training camp. 
because he doesn't have arbitration rights. There's no real deadline that they're working with besides the fact that he needs to sign by December or not play in the NHL this season. I mean, his agent was quoted in some Russian media trying to give a vague deadline that he would then, you know, negotiate a return to the KHL in Russia, basically. But, I mean, that seemed a pretty transparent leverage ploy right there. I'm not sure how much I actually buy into it, and I doubt the Knights are going to buy into it. I mean, that thing is, I think, not going to take, you know, a short time to resolve. That's going to be one that drags out as they try to get Gustav to lower his asking price as they, you know, try to put more pressure on teams probably around the start of training camp to make them better offers if they do indeed want to trade him so that the other teams could get him into camp early enough so he can acclimate to, you know, the NHL ice sheet, to the kind of the physicality of the league, things like that. Um, so I don't really see any uh, big, exciting uh, topics on the horizon. Yeah, and then in like a week, he's going to sign, right? Uh-huh. Absolutely. We'll be back here uh, Friday to yep. our Gusev signing press conference podcast. Uh, we'll be out here for that. Book it. Obviously, I'm joking. If you're, if you're hearing that out of context, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, that, that will pretty much do it for our conversation of what is going on with the Golden Knights right now. We're here, as we said, at Derek England's uh, press conference to announce he is back for one more year. One year deal, 700000 that could go as high as 1.5 with incentives. Uh, so he spoke. Make sure you check out ReviewJournal.com for everything he had to say uh, for Ben Goats and Dave Shane. I'm Adam Hill. And don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share everything you do with podcasts. Tell your friends to listen to the Golden Edge podcast, which is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.